All right, everyone, welcome back to the Loopcast. Today we have the Fun Friday Consecration of St. Joseph. We are on part two. So uh, for those following around along, we are on day eight. Uh, Josh and I have been reading throughout the week, uh, praying to St. Joseph. Josh, how are you feeling uh, this Good Friday? Well, it's not... <laughs> Good Friday, of course. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a good Friday. It is a Friday. it is a wonderful Friday, though. There you go. Okay. I mean, you know, it's a penance. I'm one of those that really likes to eat meat all the time, so you know, sticking with the fish. I know good Catholics should like you know not eat meat all 52 Fridays of the year, except for the solemnities. But I'm you're working on it. On that, you're I know I'm on working it. on it. I'm working on it. But you know, again, I think. We're so used to, I mentioned this last week, we're so used to giving stuff up and there's nothing wrong with that, but I just feel like it's so much better to invest in the into the spirit of Lent by offering to do something for your spiritual life. So it's not giving something up, it's trying to add in. And that and that's why I think doing something like this, like a consecration of St. Joseph, and you know, I think it's great for men, um, but women can do this consecration too. My wife and I are doing this together. We like this consecration and we think it's doing a a uh, great job. So there's just so many good insights into this. And, um, you know, the last week, you know, we covered a lot of stuff uh, in the consecration. And and I just, I, I appreciate what Father Callaway is trying to do here. Like he's setting the stage here, setting the table. And he talks a lot in these last few days about how, you know, Joseph is like the greatest with the exception of Mary, the greatest saint there ever was. And how could it not be? And of course, the only time, you know, I think I'm so, well, wait a minute now. Didn't Jesus say that John the Baptist was the best? And I don't think those are two, two things, sentiments that are actually contradictory because of course, I think Jesus is basically saying with the exception of the father that raised me, Joseph, there's no greater saint in heaven. Cause of course we are automatically understand him to be excluding Mary anyway, when he's talking mm -hmm. about that. And so I think he's basically saying with the exception of my mom and dad, you know, <laughs> obviously John the Baptist right. is awesome. <laughs> um, and the best, I, I have one line on that. Uh, he said the, the Holy spirit was more active in the spirit of St. Joseph than in any other saint. And of course that's with the exception of our lady's life, which he adds right before that. Um, right. But that's really, when you said that, it's really interesting to think about. And then, Another thing, uh, and just be interested to get your thoughts on it, on day eight, we're talking about St. Joseph as the head of the new covenant family, as Adam was the head of the first covenant family. So our first father made the mistake uh, that put us here, and then Joseph basically was the man, the father, to get us back uh, to heaven. Uh, we have right. the greatest thing any father can do for his children is to help them get to heaven. Our first father, Adam, ruined this possibility for all his children. And honestly, that just made me think of as a father myself now, like the impact of my actions on my children and to think about Adam making that mistake. And then Joseph, of course, like stepping up to the plate, obviously knocking out of the park as uh, Jesus's father, but just in my own fatherhood, you know, to try to emulate that of like aiming upward in everything I do when people are watching or not, it affects my children. It's very true. And the thing is what they've done studies on this. And um, if you have a, <clears throat> you know, the best scenario for trying to retain the faith for your children is that both mom and dad are practicing Catholics, take it seriously, go to church every Sunday, follow the Ten Commandments. Like, that's the best recipe. It's not a guarantee, you know, 
But if you want to give your ch children the best possibility of staying in the faith, obviously you and your wife both going to church on a regular basis, following the commandments, taking it seriously, you know, you're starting the kid off at third base. You know what I'm saying? You're giving them a great chance, you know, to make it home. Now, if you don't have both parents on board with the mission, what's better to have a faithful mom or a faithful dad? Now, they've done studies on this. And they found that if a parent, if a, if a if a mom is faithful and goes to church on a regular basis, but the dad doesn't, you see a big drop in the percentage of those kids that will follow the church and go into it. But if the dad stays true, it's almost as good as a mom and a dad. I mean, it is better. Mom and dad are better. So if it's if the mom goes off the reservation, but the t dad stays, it's there's still it takes a hit. But the, the, the percentage of kids that stay with the faith, if the dad stays with the faith, is high. So you men have to understand you have a greater calling because we know about, you know, moms and grandmoms, they all go to church. But it's, you know, you want to know what where the difference is in families where the dad stays true, follows the Ten Commandments and goes to church. You see a major difference. And this, let me tell you. I, I talked to lots of priests and bishops. They all know this. They found that study when that hit, boom, it opened eyes and it goes, wow, that's amazing. And it spread like wildfire. So the, the Catholics in the church understand this ecclesiastically. Bishops, priests, they all know it. They all get it. And I think the rationale here is that you see in your own father an image of our heavenly father above. You, He's your first you know, view of what it means, you know, like that's how they understand you know, the concept of an all-powerful God. They see that through the lens of how they look at you, your dad. So that's a really impressive, kind of intimidating, powerful thing. But that's why a consecration of St. Joseph is so good. And that's why Father Calloway talks about it, because St. Joseph was that image, that mirror of the heavenly father right our heavenly father needed somebody to raise jesus as a boy now jesus was of course divine right what does he need well in this in the sense that he takes human flesh therefore then he does have needs he's got to eat someone needs to re uh, rear him and train him and talk to him how to use you know your body how to use you know learn a trade whatever it is right mm -hmm. so he needs an earthly mother and an earthly father. Well, Jesus and Jesus needed a protector. Of all the men of all time, our Heavenly Father picked Joseph. That should mean something. Yeah, and here it, it says, Joseph carried Jesus Christ first to Egypt, then to Judea, and so traced for us the path of the apostles who preached his name to the Jews and the Gentiles. St. Joseph was the guardian of Jesus and Mary. He was naturally also the one that introduced those souls eager to approach them more close, closely. Um, those are two separate quotes, but the first quote made me think of like, how much responsibility Joseph held in like hearing the news that Herod was coming to kill him, having to get out of, get out of Dodge, basically go find a space for him to be born. And then there's like all those years of his life, kind of the early life that we don't really get too close a picture into, but uh, it kind of reminded me of like when we went to Our Lady of La Leche and they were talking about breastfeeding, like there's just elements to Catholicism that, like we experience in our natural life, of course, if you have children, you probably experience breastfeeding in some capacity. But like when you have a kid, 
similar to St. Joseph, so much of the protection of the mother and child is up to the father. And so while of course Jesus was divine, he still needed a father-like figure in his life, of course, to not only protect him, but to protect Mary and to raise him properly because that's just, that's, and of course that that's modeling, um, that's modeling what the path basically for us now to imitate the Holy family, to get that to heaven. Sorry. I just, I just butchered that, that sentence. I had a lot of thoughts going. Through that, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've just, I've just been really dwelling on that. Like what are just everyday I'm trying to think about Joseph in the everyday. Cause I think it's, well, he's here, let me, so, let me throw this at, share this with the readers here. Yeah. Uh, Pope Benedict the 16th says there is but one fatherhood that of God, the father, the one creator of the world of all that is seen and unseen yet man created in the image of God has been granted a share in this one paternity of God. Ephesians three fifteen, St. Joseph is a striking case of this since he is a father without fatherhood. According to the flesh, he is not the biological father of Jesus whose father is God alone. And yet he lives in fatherhood fully and completely. To be a father means above all to be at service of life and growth. St. Joseph in this scene, in this sense, gave proof of great devotion. So, I mean, you know, that's why, for example, some of the saints kind of blanch um, at even calling him a foster father. The litany is approved and it says foster father, so it's okay. So it's okay to say it, but St. Josea Escriba didn't like the term foster father so much. Um, he goes, there's something I do not quite like in the title of foster father, which is given sometimes given to Joseph, but it might make us think of the relationship between Joseph and Jesus as something cold and external. Certainly our faith tells us that he was not his father according to the flesh, but this is not the only kind of fatherhood. And of course, it's kind of funny because like, we use that foster father because we want to make sure non-Catholics, Catholics and non-Catholics like we're, we're not trying to say that Jesus was the son of Joseph in a biological sense. So we kind of emphasize foster father, but it's like we want to be careful not to diminish his true fatherhood. He raised him, you know, and uh, Jesus was under his, you know, tutelage for, you know, many years. He didn't enter into public life till he was 30. I mean, obviously Joseph had passed away sometime during that time, but he had, a, you know, Joseph, he spent so much more time. You know, it was St. He mentioned in this St. Joseph consecration that I think it was St. Louis, uh, Reed de Montfort had said that uh, Mary, Jesus spent more time with Mary, 10 times as much time with Mary as he did the apostles. 30 years with Mary, just three years with the apostles. Okay. I don't know exactly at what age Jesus was when Joseph passed away. I mean, was he 27? I don't know. It was sometime before he hit 30, though, because he didn't enter into public life until after Joseph's time on earth was done. But the point is, he still spent a ton more time with Joseph than he did with the three the, all the, with the apostles. That's not taken away from the apostles. I'm not saying that in any way to go <laughs> against the apostles. I'm just saying Joseph spent about. a lot of time with Jesus from... Uh, holding him in his arms, to raising him, to teaching him the trade of being a carpenter, working in the workshop, um, 
you know, he taught him how to, he taught him the virtues. He taught him the commandments. He he brought him to, as Father Kelly says, he brought him to Jerusalem for the high feast days. He taught him in the faith. He explained, you know, what it means to be a boy, what it means to become a man. There's so much that Jesus learned from Joseph. And, you know, we can use him as a powerful intercessor. Absolutely. So can I, can I ask Josh then, you know, we're on day eight. We've been saying this daily. We're also part of the Latin season. So there's been um, some intentional sacrifices or maybe add-ons there. Uh, how do you feel after day eight? Like has, has anything in your daily life changed or your perception on fatherhood or your personal life? Like what's been going on with that? Well, anytime I pick up a new um, consecration or something like that, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but um, I feel like um, the devil's a little upset and he starts throwing more junk my way, you know, like trying to trip me up, try to get me off the path. And it's like so easy to forget. So I have to like set alarms on my phone, like don't forget to pray, you know, um, because I just feel like anytime I make an, an extra spiritual bouquet like this, where I want to take my faith more seriously, the devil is going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at me. And, you know, it's just like, whoa, you know, take, take a step to realize what's going on. And um, I just find a lot more peace in general after um, doing these kind of prayers, committing myself closer to, you know, Joseph and, and, and meditating on his love and service to Mary and Jesus. Um, and it just helps me then with my family. Like, and so when, you know, it's kind of the craziness of having six kids and you might be surprised there, there's a few arguments from time to time. Um, and, you know, to realize that I have other tools in my tool belt rather than just yelling very loudly, <laughs> um, certainly not beneath that. Certainly yeah, I've used that from time to time. But you know, there are other opportunities. There are other ways just to have that stillness and that and that and that quiet confidence and just, you know, what can I do to make the situation better? So yeah, I think it's really stripped back. So so I'm doing so I've been doing this and I've been reading uh a book called uh In Conversation with God, if you've ever heard of it. Um oh yeah, really good. Shout out to my mom. She she bought it for me for Lent. But I've been doing spiritual reading in the morning from that book. And they're these nice kind of bite-sized uh, spiritual reflections of the day. And well, first off, new things that I'm thinking about this year, which it's kind of hard to do when you have a podcast and it's predicated upon talking. But the idea of doing your Lenten penances and not telling people about them. Not that I was ever... I mean, maybe we in some run a show talking about what we're doing. So. <laughs> I know exactly. So I, I want to preface. I want everyone here. to know how holy I am. <laughs> Hello. No, 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 no. Of course, like I've I've fallen short many times, and I want to preface it with this is all for the glory of God. Of course, this isn't uh, this isn't uh, me trying to show off personal pride or whatever. But I've been thinking extra about just doing my extra spiritual uh, penances that I've set for myself for this year, uh, or some. Um, physical mortifications as well. Like for example, like I've been taking cold showers and they're not fun, but I don't like, I've never, I've been trying not to like go up to my wife to be like, okay, yeah, I'm not looking forward to this one. Like kind of getting a, <laughs> kind of getting the cold shower again. So I've just realized, I guess it was harder than I thought to keep these things to myself. And 
because maybe I just like talking. I don't know. I mean, I guess I have a podcast, but I'm like, <laughs> I just like talking about stuff that I'm doing. So I'm like, it's been actually extra hard for me to be like, I'm not doing this today. Or like I read in, in conversation with God this morning, like I had a nice spiritual morning. Um, so that's been an interesting element. I think the consecration paired with in conversation, God, it's just such a tone setter for the day. I feel like that's so cliche, but like when I start with it and I raise my mind to those things immediately, I can feel a difference in how I interact with people at work. I can feel a difference in how I inter- interact with my son, with my wife, um, in a really good way. And so I, I guess when I think of, uh, there was a saint who was talking about like, was it mother Teresa was talking about, you know, why do the sisters of charities spend the first hour of the day in adoration or at mass or something like that? Couldn't they be spending that time right, helping, yeah. the, helping the poor? Could and you she more, was, someone yeah. said, if you didn't spend that hour in front of Jesus, yeah. And she said, no, like we wouldn't be able to do what we do if we don't spend that first hour. And I've been thinking a lot about that of like how much strength I really get from that time in the morning uh, that makes my day so much. It feels like it makes an impact on my day. Like I'm more positive and uh, my contributions are more aimed towards heaven, I think. So yeah, St. Joseph, it's it's the fatherhood element. That's a whole new element, obviously for me as well. But I'd say that's where I'm at. And then it kind of helps to like, not to date this episode or whatever, but you know, with all of the St. Patrick stuff and it's just so easy to get angry about that and riled up. I think the latest element of that is that the activists are demanding an apology from the Catholic church. And I think just the praying in the morning has led to me responding maybe more spiritually than before. Maybe like a natural anger came out and there was no like, all right, now I need to pray for that person or I need to pray for the situation. Um, I think it's just become more of an instinct. I think if I start my day with prayer or like I've been saying the rosary. So like that's already the first thing in my mind instead of just quick anger. I don't know how, how you feel about all that, but I think St. Joseph's been helping for sure. Yeah. And I do think like the prayer is a good outlet because it can say, ultimately, I believe heavenly father that you are in charge and you know, I should, I should pray like it all depends on you and work as it all depends on me and just not have despair. Like, you know, like, I, you know, I tell people like, you know, you feel bad about a family member who's lost the faith. You know, you try to witness to them, you try to be good, you know, but ultimately you realize that the Holy Spirit's the author of all conversions. So you don't place too much on yourself. Like you be a good witness. You try to be a good person. You try to, Hey, well, you want to come with mass to me or whatever, but you don't try to hit them over the head with, you know, with the, with the catechism or something. And then ultimately you realize that, you know, it really is um, the power of prayer can, can do a lot. Amen. And, and not to feel like you have to come up with the most creative idea or explanation. Like you look at something like the trans thing that you said at St. Patrick's cathedral, like how do I push back against that kind of stuff? I mean, we try to do different activisms and stuff like that. We, you know, call the attorney general, do this and that kind of stuff. But even that ultimately we're like, pray here are, we put it in the first article we did or whatever, like, here are prayers of reparation that you can do. And we had a lot of people click on that. And a lot of people said, thank you for putting that art in there so that I could do these prayers of reparations. Because we actually believe that can make a difference, obviously. you know. Like <laughs> well, said, everything we do is pointless unless that element. You know you know what I mean? Like, we don't get anywhere on, on our own merits. It's like, well, I mean, the Lord that. does want us to participate in things. But, he, you know, again, action, if it's united with prayer, is that much more consequential yeah. and powerful. Absolutely. 
because of, I mean, all of our action stems from what was given to us by God, I guess was my point. So like, if there's no spiritual element to what you're doing, it's, it's kind of empty, I guess, at the end of the day, you know? Right. And it's also just, you know, like I felt offended when that happened at St. Patrick's cathedral. And I know a lot of other people did, but ultimately I know that it's a, an offense against God. And I know that even the people who are doing these blasphemous things, like I, I do remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross, like, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because if they yeah. really could understand and have their eyes open and, and know the full truth and love of our Heavenly Father, there's no way that they would do that. I immediately that's immediately what I thought of actually, like forgive them for they know what they they know not what they do. And and ironically, that is why it's so offensive to people who do understand. It's because of how blasphemous and evil what being like how harmful it is in reality and i don't even know if the activists fully understand that like they're just in there trying to stir it up but um but yeah i have um full confidence in prayer i don't know josh if you wanted to hit the litany with me uh yeah let's right do now. it cool we've got a lot to pray for uh obviously praying about the saint um saint patrick situation for everyone involved with that that there can be a uh, resolution in god's hand god's will be done there um, pray for Josh and I as we continue through the uh, consecration. Pray for everyone doing it with us. Pray for everyone listening to the podcast, the podcast as a whole. Um, so here we go on the litany of St. Joseph. This time I don't have screenshots. I have the full thing, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, all right, here we go. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, hear us. Christ, graciously hear us. God, the Father of heaven, have mercy on us. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy on us. God, the Holy Spirit, have mercy on us. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. Holy Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Noble offspring of David, pray for us. Light of the patriarchs, pray for us. Spouse of the mother of God, pray for us. Chaste guardian of the virgin, pray for us. Foster father of the son of God, pray for us. Zealous defender of Christ, pray for us. Head of the holy family, pray for us. Joseph most just, pray for us. Joseph most chaste. Pray for us. Joseph, most prudent. Pray for us. Joseph, most courageous. Pray for us. Joseph, most obedient. Pray for us. Joseph, most faithful. Pray for us. Mirror of patience. Pray for us. Lover of poverty. Pray for us. Model of workmen. Pray for us. Glory of domestic life. Pray for us. Guardian of virgins, pray for us. Pillar of families, pray for us. Comfort of the afflicted, pray for us. Hope of the sick, pray for us. Patron of the dying, pray for us. Terror of demons, pray for us. Protector of the Holy Church, pray for us. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, 
Graciously hear us, O Lord. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. He has made him Lord of his household. And prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, who in your loving providence, your loving providence chose, chose blessed, blessed Joseph, Joseph to be the spouse of your most, spouse holy, mother, your most holy mother, grant, grant us the favor, the favor of having him for our intercessor, for intercessor in heaven, in heaven, whom on earth, earth we venerate as our protector. As our protector. You, you who live, who live and, reign and reign forever and ever. And ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. If we want to get crazy, we could do it in Latin next week. <laughs> I know. I see that. <laughs> you actually got to brush amazing. up. I took a few I years. <laughs> uh, I think I took three semesters. That's about all I took. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, I was one of those weird kids in high school taking Latin. Um, I'm any... a Samant. <laughs> Hit them with those declensions. So, Although uh, my my kids have all taken Latin, my my older three kids have all taken Latin in high school. They're all taking it right now. Well, some several of them are taking it now. Yeah, I actually think there's a ton of value to even just having like Latin, basic Latin literacy, like being able to pronounce words, because so much of Catholic, so many Catholic prayers are infused with that. Parts of the Mass are infused with that. And Ooh, so I got another one for you. Advantage. That what's up? Well. Even non-Catholics could benefit from taking Latin. The reason why, I grew up in the 80s and early 90s, and I there, you know, by that time they'd already done a wrecking ball on grammar, and they didn't, you know, there was none of that. Like, here's why we the rules of grammar, why we do things this, why we write sentences this way. Oh, we're beyond that. And then I get to I start taking Latin and then it really kind of like unlocked for me like, oh, because it was a language that wasn't spoken. So we were literally just trying to understand like forensic level, like here's what's going on. Here's how they break down the sentences. And I was like, it just opened my eyes like, OK, I suddenly understood the English language that much better. And so hmm. I'm like, that's why I took Latin. I figured it's going to help. I'm Like if I take three semesters of Spanish, like what am I going to be able to order? you know, a few drinks and Tijuana, like, what does it matter? I don't understand this, but like learning Latin was a way to help me understand my own language better. It was just, you know, cause there's etymology of words, as you say, and then there's just understanding grammar better too. So. Uh, I have a love of Latin for a different reason. Did I tell you the story of how I met my wife? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm curious now. Uh, I took Latin in college. So I took Latin in high school for two years. And so I took Latin as my language credit at Ave Maria. And so I came in with a huge advantage, of course. Uh, most people didn't take Latin before. So it was a tough class for a lot of people. And so she was in my Latin class on the first day. And I, I think I had made contact with her like once before that. And I was in the back of class. She was in the front of class. Or no, I, mean, I think it was the reverse. I was in the front. She was in the back. And the Latin professor, Dr. Dinan, shout out. He's the man. Uh, was like, all right, now go say salve, which is hello in Latin to your fellow classmates or whatever. Go say it to three classmates. And so I, of course, like said it to the person next to me, said it to the person behind me, and then I beelined it for the back of class to go say salve to now my future wife. And she probably looked at me like I was a crazy person. Like, what are you doing all the way back here? And then the next class it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. She wasn't there. So I was like, I don't know if I scared her off from Latin. It's possible, but she didn't show up. So it turns out she had just switched uh, sections. So I had a morning class, she had an afternoon. And so my my play was, I was like, hey, you know, we get a lot of Latin homework. 
you know, maybe we could help figure it out together. Basically, like we can we can help each other out with the declensions, whatever. So Big I think it, it only took like two or three sessions of us doing it together where she just kind of looks at me. She's like, you don't need help with Latin, do you? And I was like, <laughs> no, that's that's not why I'm here. <laughs> I, took, I took Latin in high school. <laughs> so Latin, this this dead romance language uh, helped me meet my. Oh, uh, it was all romance for sure. It was there. It was game <laughs> over from there. I got it with the Latin and. It was uh, a romance language. There was one time too in the second semester. At this point, we had we were already dating. Where they were doing like they would go around the class in like popcorn reading style. So you'd like read a sentence, and then the kid next to you would read the next sentence. Mm. And so my wife was next to me, and we just had like Dunkin' Mo- Monday. Shout out to Ave, people know, but they gave out donuts. So I had a napkin from the donut, and I knew she was sweating because she was struggling with Latin. It was Latin two was tough. And so I could just see it getting closer and closer to her. So I kind of like in my head, it was like Alan from the hangover with all the math, like which sentence is going to be hers. So I was like rushing to figure out which sentence would be hers. And then I wrote down on the napkin, like the proper uh, like words to say for the sentence. And I was like trying to slide it at her as like discreetly as I could. And it got to her and I, she did not get it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like I literally had this on a platter for you, like trying to help you out. So yeah, Latin. What a language. <laughs> I so. love donuts and I love Latin, so that's a great story. <laughs> you know, I got some stories too. It's not only Josh in this program. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're praying for you guys. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Happy Friday. Happy Lent. Uh, it's going to be a great rest of the season. We will catch you guys on the next edition of this next Friday uh, where we will be. Uh, let me see. Do you know what page that will be, Josh? Not to put you on the spot. Oh, we'll be going all yeah, we'll be doing 8 through 14. So 8 through 14. All right, 8 through 14 next week. It's going to be a good time. Uh, St. Fidelis, St. Thomas More, Arthur Guadalupe, pray for us, and we will see you guys in the next one. Peace. All right.